Hello my friends, this is Pastor Christopher Alam. I trust you and your family are doing well and are blessed in all things. It's a blessing for me for to be able to teach you uh, from the scriptures. Now I must say one thing, you know, I, as you can notice, I have a very strong accent. I didn't grow up in America and so I, I you know, I'll carry this accent as long as I live. And so many times when I'm speaking, I, I say some things that are wrong in other words, I stumble. Uh, over my words and all that. So please have forbearance with me. Forgive me. Uh, I do my best for you. But uh, the main thing is the lesson from the scripture. And as I said yesterday, that please, uh, if I say something that you're not used to hearing, especially talking about this abundance of grace and righteousness and all that stuff, uh, just don't judge it and criticize it because this is new for you. But look at everything me or not just me, but any other teacher of the word, uh, whatever they teach you, listen with an open mind and open heart and check everything to the script with the scripture. Because, you know, Paul said to the Corinthians about the Bereans, that the Bereans were more noble, were more noble than anybody else. Because he said, when I taught them, they went home and they checked the scriptures to see whether it actually was so. So you are commended if when if a teacher doesn't matter who it is teaches you the word of God that you 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 measure everything he says against the word of God and the parts that are in line with the word of God hold on to them the parts that are that you find don't line up with the word of God just put it on a shelf I've done it all my life and that is the only way you can grow uh, you know you you grow and you just don't swallow everything a preacher says just because he's credible or you like him because nobody's perfect. All of us, we try to preach the word of God, do the best we can for you. So that is that includes your pastor or whoever. But the important thing is you listen with an open heart and say, Father, I just want to grow. Teach me something today and and the Lord will teach you. And the things that you say, well, this is, sounds good, but... I found this scripture and this is not real. Well, put it on a shelf. Don't criticize it. Put it on a shelf and say, Father, teach me. And that is how we learn because the whole idea of you learning and me too, me learning also. I've been in ministry for 44 years, but I'm still learning. And the whole idea of us learning is because it is through learning that we grow and it is as we grow and practice the things that we learn that we can bear fruit for Jesus and our Lord Jesus is glorified in our lives. Amen. So we are talking about the subject of uh, God's grace and man's faith. And so uh, I, you know, I talked yesterday about if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit, living in the spirit, living in grace. And so I want to finish that part with this scripture, Galatians 6. 14 to 16, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So uh, we glory in nothing else but in the cross of Jesus, because through Jesus, um, the world is crucified to me. That means the world is dead to me and I am dead to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision available, availeth anything or nor un uncircumcision but a new creature. So the only thing that really counts is not circumcision, or that means your, you know, your Jewishness, or uncircumcision, that means you're being a Gentile, but the only thing that really counts is a new creature. Hallelujah. And as many as walk according to this rule, 
peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God is actually is referring to the church. You know, there is still the Israel, the physical Israel is still there. But what he's he's referring to is Abraham's seed by faith. And we are the Israel of God. So he says that uh, he says as many who walk according to this rule that we count ourselves as a new creation in Christ Jesus, putting behind our background, whether it be Jewish or Gentile. And he says, we who walk according to this rule, peace be upon us and mercy because we are the Israel of God. Amen. Now we don't replace that Israel, that physical Israel is there and God has wonderful, wonderful plans for them in the end time. So God hasn't done away with the Jewish people as yet. They are still there. And even though they are hardened to the gospel now, there will come a time when it says that Israel will be saved and praise God for that day that they will come. But now we right now we are the Israel of God because because God uh, because firstly we are part of Abraham's blessings that has come upon us. So we are also God's people. So somebody say, well, the Jews are God's people. Yes, they are. But we are also God's people because we are in Christ. We are the seed of Abraham by faith in Jesus. And we are the Israel of God. So as far as, uh, as, as, as God's purposes on earth being fulfilled um, to be a light to the nations, to bring the Gentiles to his light, that purpose is being fulfilled by, uh, by the church right now rather than by the Jews, but the Jews day will come. This is just the way it is. And uh, God is working in Israel. God is working in the church and God is working in the whole world. And the whole plan of God is to bring all nations together. So when we'll all be in heaven, there'll be, I mean, there'll be everybody there. There'll be Jews, there'll be Gentiles, we'll be redeemed and saved from every nation and tongue. And you know what? When we are up there, whether you're Jew or Gentile, we'll all be dressed in the same white robe. We will all look the same because we are the redeemed. We are the washed in the blood of Jesus. So let's look at mankind that way. Okay. Now, what I want to get into now, I'm going to talk to you about the different types of grace. There are different types of grace. There is only one grace, but there are, well, let's put it this way, there are different effects of grace. Okay. So I don't want you to think that the different kinds of grace, there is one grace, the grace of God, but it, it, it affects us in different ways. The first type of grace is saving grace. That's the grace through which we uh, have, have received mercy and we receive salvation. And I talked about that in the beginning, we have received abundance of grace through Jesus. And we have talked about that. Uh, in the earlier part of our discussion on grace. And the second kind of grace is preserving grace. That's the grace that keeps us and preserves us. And we have spoken of that too. So the first two types of grace, saving grace and preserving grace, we have talked about. The third type of grace is grace to overcome sin. God gives us grace to overcome sin. And that we talked about it um, somewhat in the last lesson where it says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, uh, the flesh, because what happens when we walk in the spirit, we walk in grace, under grace. And the moment we yield to the flesh and say no to the spirit of God, then we put, your, put ourselves under the law. So if you want to walk under grace and have grace to overcome sin, then you yield to the spirit. That's how you, you know, that's how you experience this overcoming grace, the grace that overcomes sin 
it doesn't come by yielding to the flesh because the moment you yield to the flesh, you come out of the grace of God and you put yourself under the law. Uh, but the moment you yield to the spirit, you yield to God, then you come under this grace that helps you overcome sin. And he says, they walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And those who are in Christ, they have crucified the flesh and the lust thereof. But here are some things I want you to look at when it comes to this grace to overcome sin. Now, and the first thing I'm, say, I'm writing is this, that when you give your life to Jesus and yield yourself to the grace of God, there are changes and some changes are instant. Now, so I've written this down and I'm reading it as I've written. When Jesus is the Lord and the Holy Spirit is living within you, you will have already noticed some changes in your life. Certain sinful habits have simply dropped off without any effort on your part. <coughs> and your taste may have changed in regard to the things that entertain you or make you laugh. I remember when I got saved, there were some things that just dropped off. Certain unclean things I used to do. I just lost the desire for those things. I don't know where they went. I, I have other friends also. Uh, you know, I had this, this guy, I mean, he used to drink a lot of alcohol and smoke. And I never told him, don't do these things. I, I just said, give your life to Jesus. And he said, well, what about this? I said, nowhere does the Bible say you have to stop smoking to give your life to Jesus. Just give your life to Jesus. And then he told me a few days later, he says, brother, I don't know what happened to me. When I gave my life to Jesus, sincerely begin to follow Jesus, spend time with him, spend time in the word and in prayer. He said, I've lost my desire to go to the disco. I have lost my desire for drinking, for alcohol. I just am not tempted by those things anymore. I just don't want those things anymore. And that is in the instant change I'm talking about. And all of us can do that. So uh, experience that. Physical appetites <coughs> for things that defile your body may suddenly disappear. Your speech may be so suddenly purified and seasoned with grace that those around you can't help us but notice. That was one of the things that I did when, uh, when you know, I was an army officer, so I wasn't big into cussing and using foul, filthy language. Uh, when we were in the army, because officers, we, an officer is a gentleman. So the kind of swear words we used were of the milder kind. So I never, I never used those really filthy uh, swear words. I never did that. But when I got saved, all those things, even those mild swear words disappeared from my life. I don't know how. It just happened. That was an instant change. And... Uh, one of the things that disappeared from my life was anger. I was, I was a frightful person, huge anger problems. I got delivered from that. And these are miracles of the new life that has been given to you. Now that those are instant changes. Now, some changes are a process. That's the other kind of change. And, uh, and this is what is that? That though we may wish it were different, we do not become instantly perfect and impervious to all temptations. You know, so some changes take place instantly, but other changes, they take place over time. And, and I wish that when I became Jesus, I, sorry, when I came to Jesus, I was instantly perfect. But that never happened, unfortunately. And I bet it never happened to you either. So it says that, uh, that when that happens, you'll find out you are still human and imperfect. And you'll be tempted, you'll be tempted to, to yield to temptation and also to live the way you've always lived. Do some of the things you always used to do. 
but what you do is you yield yourself to the word and that process is called the renewal of the mind and we'll talk more about that later on when we get to the part about faith we'll talk about the renewal of the mind and we will in a couple of days but uh, that process uh, that process um, those things that are a process that are not instant changes but processes those things take place as you renew your mind and these temptations are opportunities for you to reaffirm, reaffirm your decision to make Jesus the ruler of your life. Jesus doesn't force you to follow him or, uh, or to follow his plan for your life because he has given you and me with a free choice. And, but he wants us to obey because this is what we want to do and what we choose to do. He will never force us to follow him. So we are walking around. We know some instant changes have taken place. Other changes are a process and that whole process thing can be frustrating because we get angry at ourselves. We beat ourselves up. Why did I do this thing again? I shouldn't have said that. But you know what? When that happens, you say, Jesus, I'm following you. No matter what, I'm going to follow you. Do your work in me. And that you reaffirm your commitment to follow Jesus and you grow and you yield to your leadership and you spend time in prayer and renew your mind, spend time in the word and speak the word of God and that process will be at work in your life. Now, the next thing is dealing with immediate temptations. What happens when you deal with immediate temptation? We have to learn to overcome temptations by the power of the spirit as part of our training. And every temptation to sin can become an opportunity to strengthen your resolve and declare. Because you see, when you face a temptation, I learned one thing. I, I, the best thing for me to do is to calm down and say, um, say that, Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I choose you. I just really speak to myself, Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I choose you. Because the thing is that when you are tempted, there are two things you can do. You can give up and just sin, yield to the temptation. Or the other thing, you can try to resist the temptation in your flesh, but then you'll fail. Or you will turn to the Holy Spirit within you and ask him for the grace and the ability to, you know, to resist and say, Jesus, Lord, Holy Spirit, help me. And whenever I do that, he always helps me. Holy Spirit, please help me. And so, but one thing that is very important, if you really, really want to resist temptation, and this may be unusual for you to say that. Firstly, you have to draw your boundaries. You have, and that's not legalism. You have to draw boundaries. Now, let me just say this. Legalistic religion imposes boundaries upon you. Legalistic religion will tell you, you shall not do this, you shall not do that, and you can't do this. You know, that's what legalism does. It tells you what you cannot do. But Christian maturity, a person who lives under grace, who's a mature Christian, he draws his own boundaries. Listen to me. Legalism imposes boundaries upon you. But Christian maturity, a mature Christian, one who knows Jesus, one of his greatest strengths is that he knows his own weaknesses. And because he knows his own weaknesses, he draws his own boundaries. Say, let me, let me be very, very honest and frank with you. When I check into a hotel, okay, when I check into a hotel and they have these adult movies, pornographic movies, they always have a channel where they show pornographic movies. I tell them at the reception, <coughs> I said, 
I'm <coughs> sorry. I say, could you please block those movies in my room? I draw, that, when I do that, I draw a boundary because, because I can be in a situation because I'm at my weakest. I know myself for so long and so well. I know myself more than anybody else. I know myself and I know my weaknesses and I know that I'm at my weakest when I have just had a good powerful meeting and I'm tired, I'm worn out and I just lay in bed and I'm all wound up trying to unwind and I flip through channels on television. That is when I'm at my weakest and I know that. So that's why I shut the door to Satan. I shut the door to the flesh. I tell the reception, please block those channels and they'll block it for me. And there's certain rules I have. I will never let a lady come into my room or even at home. Sometimes when I counsel people, ladies want to ask for my advice. I always have my wife with me. My wife will always, I'll never meet a lady alone. And these are, these are not legalistic requirements that somebody has said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But this is because I'm a mature Christian and I know myself and I don't want to leave a door open to the devil. So I draw certain boundaries. And you, you might have other areas of temptation, but if you are strong, you're a mature Christian, you know your areas of weaknesses. And those in those areas, you draw boundaries and you never cross them. So that way you keep the devil out. You keep the flesh quiet, right? So this is very important. So you draw your own boundary and Christian as a mature Christian, you, you just, you know, you just say, these are my areas of temptation. I'm not going to go there. You draw your own boundaries. And then First, draw your boundaries. Secondly, speak the word of God. That's what Jesus did when he was had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. The devil came and tempted him. What did Jesus do? He spoke the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. The scripture coming out of your mouth is your greatest weapon against Satan. Even more powerful than shouting and jumping up and down and yelling in tongues. Listen. It is written, taking the word of God in your mouth is the most powerful weapon you have because it is the sword of the spirit, is the sword of the spirit. So speak the word of God. Thirdly, rebuke Satan. Just rebuke the Satan and then rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus and command him to go. And uh, fourthly, plead the blood of Jesus upon your life. Plead the blood. Jesus, cover me with your blood. So every night when I go to bed, I cover my room with the blood. I cover my family with the blood, cover myself with the blood. I do that. I do that every single day. So these are the things you have to do. Okay. So now the next thing I want to talk about. So I'm talking about, uh, you know, saving grace and grace that preserves you and all that and, and all that grace that overcomes sin. Then the next thing is forgiveness for our faults and missteps. Let's look at Psalm 103. Let's look at the character of God in demonstration here or manifestation in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Uh, for as I for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is on the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. So remember the character of God, that the Lord knows that we are weak, and we are not perfect, and he's merciful to us, and he loves us like a father loves his children, and that his covenant with us is unto our second and third and fourth generation. And he says that he has removed our sins from us as far as the east is on the west. Why? Because he knows. He says the Father, Lord pities us like a father pities his children because he knows that we are dust. He knows that we are nothing. And that is why the Father has chosen to cover us with the blood of Jesus. He has chosen to give us his grace and he encompasses us and surrounds us with his mercy and you know what you can live in that mercy as long as you always seek his face and are quick to seek his favor and quick to seek his face and be with be in his presence you are safe you can live in the mercy of God but it says in Romans 8 34 who is he that condemneth is it Christ who that died yea rather who was risen again who is even at the right hand of God who also make intercession for us Jesus doesn't condemn us. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, but Jesus is at the right hand of God making intercession for you. Jesus is praying for you. And so you've got the mercy of the Father working for you and you've got Jesus praying for you and interceding for you. And so we are safe. You know, listen, as long as you're walking in the spirit, you're following Jesus, believe me, you can have faults, but you are safe because if your heart is right and you're walking in grace, walking in the mercy of God, you are perfectly safe. And then it says, 1 John 1, 9, this is what we do if we fail, if we, you know, I trip up every day. I mean, look, I'm not perfect. I'll be the first one to admit that I have faults just like the rest of us. So what do I do if I mess up? This is what I do. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. That means that if we say to Father, Father, I messed up, I did this. And he says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Now, listen, it is not the act of, of confession of our sins that brings forgiveness to us. Forgiveness comes to us through the blood of Jesus. But <coughs> we confess our sins because of our relationship with the Father. Because you know what? It's like this. It's a part of life. I have good children. If, you know, I'm their father, but if I ever mess up, if I am ever unfair with my kids, I say to them, Daddy, sorry, please forgive me. It's part of human relationships. We teach our kids to ask people for forgiveness if they have done wrong. If I'm saying something harsh to my wife, which I've done, I immediately ask her for forgiveness. Shouldn't we ask God, Father, forgive me? You know, so it's it has to do more with the relationship rather than the theology of it. That, oh, if I, uh, why should we? Some people say, why should we confess sin? Sin, we are already forgiven. Listen, my kids, they apologize to me, although I've already forgiven them. You know, they, 
I love my kids and if they don't apologize to me, it doesn't mean I reject them or I disown them, but it has to do with a relationship. Our relationship with the father is, should be one of such intimacy that if I ever mess up, I should be able to come to him with an open face and say, Father, I'm sorry I messed up. And, and, and you know, the people who don't know how to apologize are proud people. I know in certain cultures, people have a very hard time saying sorry because they can hurt people with their words and then they meet that person and they will, uh, they will never say, you know, brother, I'm sorry. They just go and pretend and do other nice things for the person and pretend nothing happened. Asian people are like that. I grew up in, in Asia. Middle Eastern people are like that. They can't look you in the face and say, listen, brother, I did this and I messed up. Please forgive me. There's too much of pride there. If we cannot confess or own up what we have done, it is pride and it's not pleasing to God. So we should, it's a good thing if we learn to uh, confess and acknowledge our faults to the Father and to our fellow Christians when we have messed up. It's a good thing. So now the fourth kind of grace is grace for ministry. Okay. And um, now I'm going to talk about grace for ministry and um, and grace. I'm going to give you three scriptures. Ephesians 3, 7, 8. So it was grace, uh, saving grace and uh, preserving grace and we are talking about grace to overcome sin now we are talking about grace for ministry and there are many other categories but these are the four more categories of grace ephesians 3 7 8 of this gospel i was made a minister according to the gift of god's grace which was given me by the working of his power to me though i am the very least of all the saints this grace was given to preach to the gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, God gave him grace to preach the gospel. So like I'm a minister of the gospel. I go all over the world. I hold these crusades and we see, you know, we've seen millions of people come to the Lord over the years, you know, thousands and thousands of people come to God and we see signs, wonders following the world. But that's not because of me. It's not that I want to do it. So I do it and hurrah, praise God. I, I practice this. No, it is the grace of God. God gave me grace to do this. And so we minister, we preach, we serve according to the grace that is given to us. Amen. So this is important to understand this, that there's a grace for salvation, there's a grace for walking with him, a grace that preserves us. And there's a grace to overcome sin, but there's a grace to serve God. So this is a grace for service. So he says, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul talks about the grace that was given to him to preach the gospel. And 1 Corinthians 3.10, he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. So Paul was an apostle. And one of the things that the apostle does is to, to lay foundations. And even this, he says, I was given the grace to lay this foundation. Hallelujah. God gave me this grace to lay this foundation. And in Romans 1.15, he says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So Paul says, I have received grace uh, and apostleship. So Paul was made an apostle because of the grace of God. God doesn't choose people on the basis of merit. And, you know, to, uh, I've seen in Africa and even here in America, oh, I'm an apostle. People love titles. So 
Some people will call themselves apostles, others will say, I'm a prophet. So finally, suddenly there's no pastors anymore. There's no servants anymore. Everybody's an apostle or a prophet or uh, uh, people don't want to be evangelists anymore. They don't want to be teachers. They don't want to be pastors. They want the top titles, but it is not that way. Listen, whether you're an apostle, if you're a true apostle, it's the grace of God. It's not because you have been promoted to an apostle. People think that, you know, you get promoted, you start an evangelist, and then you become a, 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 a pastor, then you become an apostle or a prophet. No, these, these are not ranks in the kingdom of God. Like in the army, you've got captains and majors and colonels, but, but these are the calling of God and God gives some people the grace to be apostles. Some people are given the grace to be prophets. And people are given grace to be pastors. Some people are given grace not to be one of the five, four minutes, but just to serve and, and God gives us grace according to his calling upon our lives. And it's wonderful to be called by God. And God gives us grace to serve because at the end of the day, what God rewards is not your rank or your title, but what he rewards is your faithfulness. Amen. So be faithful and serve according to the grace that God gives you. Anyway, so tomorrow we shall continue. So let us uh, pray together now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your hand upon their lives. I ask you to bless them. Lord, you said that you would bless our food and water, turn every sickness away from us. I ask you to touch them, bless their homes, bless their finances, bless their families in the name of Jesus and let them bear much fruit for your glory in Jesus' name. God bless you all and see you again tomorrow.